This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. Life is unstable. Things have been extremely unstable the last few months. And... Uh, What's the definition of a first world problem? It's when there's a few weeks that go by and you haven't released an episode. So I get anxious. Yeah, I get anxious. Like either yeah. either you're uh, you're hibernating uh, or you've uh, I don't know, you turned into Batman. I see you wearing a Bruce Wayne Batman shirt right there. You go. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Or you've gone crazy. Or, or maybe you're just waiting for like a flood of episodes to be released. But then I realized quickly, it's like, oh, no, no, no. You have other things to do. And you have priorities, I'm assuming. And, and one of them is your online teaching. And I want to get into that today. Uh, yeah. The other thing is I should say Mabruk publicly for your book. And we're going to get into this book today. It's sardonically speaking. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I wish that was the subtitle, actually. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, the subtitle was uh, Why So Serious? But then I changed it. Oh, you know, I think that, that would have been actually quite entertaining as well. But you, you went okay. with what Socrates, stand-up comedians, and rappers have in common. And yeah. maybe that's even more entertaining. Uh, hmm. I'll also note from the beginning, you're very generous. Uh, you mentioned something right before we started recording. You mentioned that there's a discount for fans of this podcast, that uh, there will be a link attached to this yep. episode for a 40% discount on your Hell book. Yeah. And the promotion code is just Beirut Banyan. Did I get yep. that right? Okay. Excellent. Uh, yes, I mean, uh, but if they just click at the link that you are you will be posting, then the discount will automatically so you, uh, you, show up. You yeah. make life easy. You cut red tape. You remove. Uh, not not myself. It's it's Gumroad. Oh, I see. <laughs> you have, uh, have this, this option, so it's actually thank you, Gumroad, for making this easy for us. Makes more sense. Yeah. I also like that we both dressed up with very colorful clothing today. We're both sort of happy and uh, bright and all of the above. I mean, could you find two more depressing? <laughs> uh, yeah. The thing is, I have, I have this uh, uh, philosophy shirt, which I uh, made myself. Uh -huh. uh, but I couldn't find it because we just recently moved out to a new place and everything is just uh, a mess and we still haven't unpacked. So... The shirt says uh, oh, something along the lines of, I'm a philosopher, uh, I ask questions for a living, got some change. 
So yeah, <laughs> do you have some change? Spare some change, basically. Yeah. Well, I guess I should say, Mabruk, then that you've also moved into a new apartment. I mean, I noticed that the uh, wall, uh, the background color, is also equally uh, uplifting. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't have I don't have uh, bookshelves or books or or a library or anything of the sort. So, uh, but this is um, hopefully this is a temporary kind of uh, place because we are scheduled to be leaving out soon. Uh, but it all depends on when the Canadians decide to uh, lift the travel restrictions. Right. So, well, we don't even know how long uh, this will extend for. I'm glad you mentioned this. I was actually hesitating on asking whether or not uh, we could sort of get into the, uh, your inevitable departure. So I, I for, for many reasons, uh, and I know we only, it was maybe just two or three months ago, we recorded together. could be longer, actually. I'm, I'm losing track of time. But it wasn't that uh, long ago. July. It was uh, July, July, mid-July, more or less, yeah. A lot has happened since mid-July. I, I actually don't know. When you were recording before, where, where were you, Bibe? Which, uh, which part of the city? Um, near uh, uh, the central bank, basically. So we were around uh, two kilometers radius from where the blast right. so uh, like happened. Spears, this sort of area, yes. Awal Hamra, yep. yeah, 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 exactly that. And Sanaya, and was your apartment? I mean, I know it's relatively speaking, it was a safer part of the city to be in. But yeah. is that why? Um, is that why you moved out, or it's unrelated to? Uh, no, it's unrelated. It's mm. just that, well, two things. First off, uh, we were uh, lucky enough to not have the ACs on uh, on August fourth. Yeah, I had recently gotten back home. I was out finishing paperwork uh, and doing a few things. Uh, had the, had we had the ACs on, uh, all the glass would have shattered. Because the ACs... Oh, so in other words, your windows were all open already? Uh, yeah, that's okay. the thing. So yeah. the ACs were not on, so everything was open, and luckily the glass... Did, so we only had a few glasses shattered, but then the apartment next to us was almost... Uh, yeah, it was everything shattered, uh, yeah. the glasses, the drawers. But luckily, no one lives there. But it's because it was closed; they were affected uh, more than we did. Uh, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's one. But then we moved out because um, we were scheduled to be leaving, or we thought we would be leaving any uh, sometime soon. Uh, but then, you know, uh, we don't know till when they will keep the travel restrictions in effect. And it felt like we were living in a limbo kind of thing. Uh, should we leave the apartment now? Should we clean it? We have things there because we're renting the apartment. So ultimately, you feel like you're just hanging, hovering in, in limbo, basically. I don't, I'm not happy. This is very selfish. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad I can, I can say things to you this way and it doesn't really have an impact on you. I'm glad. I, yeah. I, from a selfish perspective, I'm not happy that you're leaving Lebanon. And I know that your, your response will be, that's selfish of me to say that because it's your well-being, not mine. So I'm already ahead of you in that sort of, I mean, I, yes, I know that that's from my narrow perspective, very, very immediate. That um, I just, uh, 
most friends that I know, not from the podcast, from life, from childhood, from whatever, university, from social life, for the most part are gone. There's a handful, handful of people I know that are yeah or if they're if they're able to they've left very few that are able to did not leave and then the rest are on their way out so it's uh you're one of the few people that i've met the last year really since i started doing this podcast last summer that i would have liked to get to know in in lebanon maybe in a couple of months if i'm stateside and you're in canada by then it's true you're physically in canada but for me, again, selfish, I would rather meet you in Lebanon. This doesn't go just to you, by the way. It's, it's most people I know that I, most people that I've been fortunate to meet virtually uh, the last few months that are letting go of the country. And at the same time, um, I'll, I'll push a little here. You've had exchanges, you've had battles online where you make this a point. It's like, stop telling us, meaning someone like you, what we should do, writing it out, and stop feeling, stop feeling sorry for us without having skin in the game. And uh, I mean, I know these are Twitter tantrums, so maybe they're not like, this is not an academic, and rightfully so, you don't want it to be an academic view. I get that even from your book, that's deliberately not academic. <laughs> but at the same time, um, there is a need to have some people that are willing to push boundaries and exchange healthy thoughts or even maybe battle out ideas in Lebanon. I did an episode and I'm releasing it very soon uh, where the, uh, the, the guest is adamant that without freedom in the loosest definition, without expression, real expression, uh, Lebanon is meaningless. And I, I got from that that speech in all variety uh, I mean, this is a severe consequence to the country when people that are willing to talk stop talking there. They talk from abroad. And I think I, myself, I'm a consequence of this too. Uh, I'm doing this for the last few months. I've been doing it from New York, not from Beirut. Anyway, anyway, that's a lot to sort of, uh, sort of start with. But let me, let me actually find the introduction here to this episode, 20 minutes in. I have, a, I have an introduction for you. I want to ask you the hardest question first, and uh, it's probably the most entertaining. Why are you so pissed off? There are reasons why you're frustrated with certain things in Lebanon. Yeah. And I know that you're, you have legitimate reasons to be upset with the situation in Lebanon, for sure. But I say this in a playful way. Not in a condescending or mocking way. Yeah, no, of no, no. course. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're you're irritable. Mm. <laughs> and I am. And I ask this politely, if there's a way to do it, because I think comedians or jesters, by default, yeah. are the most irritable people. They are very sensitive. And the sensitivity is where the sort of the magic happens. The best comedy, the best uh well. Yeah, the best comedy, maybe even the best art forms come from that extreme sensitivity. And you chose, you chose comedians and rappers as your guides. <laughs> I don't know a philosopher. I don't know any <laughs> philosopher that is willing to put Eminem against Daniel Dennett. <laughs> or for that matter, 
uh, I mean, familiar names, maybe, maybe not. Uh, a comedian turned podcaster like Joe Rogan, who you mentioned uh, in your book, Nikki Glaser, or whoever, whoever, any comedian. And then you're sort of, you're looking to them for guidance, Amy Schumer. And you're saying that, yeah, yeah, they're, they're the most irritable comedians. And they're very good at their job. And satire is where you are, not necessarily the love of wisdom. And I'm being, I'm being hard here because I want to get to the real core of the issue. This book is born. But that's exactly what I'm arguing for. So if you if you can maybe like steer this a bit for me. Uh, yeah, but first off, um, we have to clarify a few things a bit. Where when it comes to me being uh, irritable <laughs> with regards to what? Well, be, I'm I'm. I'm clarifying this because, like you mentioned, something about Lebanon and, mm, mm. and freedom of speech, like the, to be able to say what you have uh, mm -hmm. in mind. And mm -hmm. my my take on this would be different. So this is why, like, uh, let's. I'll, I'll use the clarify a bit. Which, sure. Uh, with regards, I I'm irritable. Yes, of course. But with regards to what particular. So I can know how to. It's the narrow uh, lens I have, very narrow, which is the last pages of your book which are the tweets that I know there you're yeah. you're you're exposing your you're you're exposing what pisses you off online mm -hmm. regularly yeah Regu and you you also you you call out individuals you make you make it in a way you make it personal but you also make it playful yeah and it could be something that is maybe not even intended but you sort of you hone in on something one thing that that you're able to sort of dissect to its core and I mean, look, I'll say it. There's been many exchanges with people I've interviewed on, on the podcast and you kind of call them out on something that I don't think they're even aware of. And then it becomes a tit for tat. And it's, it's a, it's, I, I, I don't want to say provocateur because I think that has a condescending angle to it. I don't know if it's really that. I don't think you're just, you're not a shock jock. You're not just trying to instigate, but I think you're willing to share what makes you upset and it's very, um, it's really, a, it's it's like what makes you upset. It's not what makes us upset, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So I, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's really, uh, at so the end of the day, it's mostly Twitter. It's mostly Twitter, but that's really how I know you. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, because that's, uh, that's where I'm almost, uh, I'm most of the time. So, uh, but yeah, I'm irritable when it comes to, I have to, this is, this is why I wanted to clarify, because for me, I don't think, uh, politically I'm, I'm not involved, you know? So mm. what mm. makes me irritable are other things. Mm. Uh, so this is why I don't mind, uh, to say what's on my mind basically, because I don't get into all this political fuss and I, I like, I don't care politically. I really genuinely don't care about anything that's happening in Lebanon. Uh, and this is why I approach things from a philosophical uh, vantage point mm. or a philosophical perspective. Now, yeah, it. Uh, the thing is, I'm not really irritable. It's just... It's M fun to do on Twitter. Eminem, Eminem, Eminem's lyrics. I'm sorry to interrupt you here. I'm, I'm taking liberty here doing this. You you quote uh, you quote yeah. passages from Eminem. Mm -hmm. His lyrics that go back to yeah. this is maybe 20 years ago. 
This is his sort of when he was first becoming popular. And I mean, it's just, it's ranting. I mean, Eminem is, he's very good at it. He's, he's very talented at the word usage. He's a wordsmith at the end of the day. Yeah. But, uh, but it's just ranting. I mean, the guy is, is very thin skinned. He's always pissed off and he's fantastic. He's fantastic. You know, and the reason I mentioned comedians at the beginning is because I, I tend to think of them that they're the, the purest joke is born out of those sort of sensitivities. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, but because, do you see yourself you know, in, in that light as well? I know it's not the same career. I know that. I hope so. Mm. Like, I wouldn't mind that at all because I think that there's, um, like, this is ultimately what you have to, or what what I think really matters. Mm. It's just mm. those who, whether or not because they're thin-skinned, they just uh, say what's on their mind. Like, they, this is this is what I like about them. Like, yeah. Uh, thin-skinned or not, maybe because they are thin-skinned, they can just go there and tell people what they really think, and they get their some, themselves in trouble, but then they say it as is. And because they say it as is, whether or not you agree with it, there's maybe something to it. They're, you know, uh, they, may be, they may have a point one way or the other. Uh, are, you, are, you, are you sort of linking being blunt to also maybe what the role of someone like you should be, which is no filter? Uh, yeah. Okay, so, so you see that as part of your... Yes, okay. uh, and you know why? Because I'm like, uh, you might be or I might be irritable, but I don't take things personally. So for yeah. example, yeah, yeah. this is what I like even in, in, in my classes back in the day or even now online, it's... If students have a problem with me and they want to say it out loud, I don't care. It's like this is this is what makes it fun, because I'd rather that you 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 just like say what's on your mind, like what's bothering you, and and let's talk it out instead of you know creating layers of complexities such that everyone starts to decipher things and read into things. It's like just you know just say what's on what's on your mind, like what's bothering you. Let's let's talk about it. Let me ask you. And, and this is, I think, much, is a much better approach. I'm starting off with a premise, and I want to sort of see if it's true or not. And I'm, I'll take. I, I like quoting people to people, so I, I have passages yeah, here sure. that I want to quote you. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so thank you, first off, for buying a copy and for reading the book. That's my pleasure. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to make it a point here, and this is no way condescending. It is short, so this can be read if you want to in a few hours. It glides yep. by. Um, on your iPhone, it says a few hundred pages, but it's not a few hundred pages. It may be less than a hundred uh, A4. I don't know what the. It's, I don't it's know. What, 20, 20k, 20,000 words. 20,000 words. Okay, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's like it's, a, a master's thesis or something. Exactly. So it's 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 leisurely reading too, and it's all the people that I know. So it's not you're not forcing anything down someone's throat. It's actually very easy and very digestible. There's a quote though. Uh, I think, and this is you speaking, I think stand-up comedians and rappers are more contemporary philosophers than academic philosophy professors. And in the background, I know this because you mentioned in the book, you're public about it, uh, you left your academic career to pursue something far more independent, risky, uh, daring, maybe. These types of entertainers 
comedians or rappers, are they doing something similar in your mind? Meaning that they've gone, they're, it's all about them. The most vulnerable profession oh. I can think of, and I, I may have even, I hope I'm not borrowing this from somebody because stumbled upon recently, I'm sure it's attributed to somebody that uh, it's the most vulnerable profession. That you're, it's yeah. just yourself. It's actually not far away from what we're doing. It's your, yeah. it's your voice. the The difference is there's an audience testing you and and making sure you're funny. And if they're not, if they're not satisfied with your content, they're not going to laugh, and you will not succeed. But it's a very, it's a very leveled playing field. It's you and your audience. So it's it's an exposed profession. Uh, rappers, I mean, I think in their, at least in the beginning, I don't know what it's like now, I'm getting older, I'm turning 40 next year, so I, I have no authority on, on the rap industry. But I remember a time when rap music was daring. It was risky. Yeah. It was risky financially. You know, it's maybe in my adolescence that you suddenly, you could make millions of dollars selling a rap CD, rap record. I mean, Dr. Dre is early 90s. Before that, it was there's movies made about this. People like N the groups like NWA that couldn't make it big, and then they sort of were forced into this record industry world. But there was at least a decade where rap artists were literally on their own, pushing the envelope. Yeah. And they're and they're it's a they're individuals, and they have an audience. And if they're good with words, if they're good with rhymes, they make it. But it's hard. Are you in that camp? And I, I'm not saying you're Snoop Dogg. I'm not saying you're, uh, uh, you're whatever, any famous comedian now. Jim, what is it, Jim Jeffries you cite as well? And uh, Nikki Glaser yeah. and all these people. But are you, are you relating to them in that way? That is vulnerable, exposed, but also risk-taking and saying, in a sense, F you to the standard. I can do this my way. Uh, yeah, kind of. Or at mm. least I hope. I can I can do that one way or the other. Mm, mm. So yeah, so uh, yeah, challenging the system a bit, uh, and and this is this is this is where the idea of the book came. From. Like I I really don't know whether I'm there because it's going to be like it's it's a it's a process it's a journey. But uh, the premise of, of of the book is that uh, you like. Real philosophy between brackets is uh, questioning and challenging the system, uh, questioning the the upheld beliefs, the values, the traditions, mm. and this is what the pre-Socratics were doing. This is what Socrates was doing, and this is what people like Schopenhauer were doing, and and those I cite uh, like Paul Feyerabend and 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 these. And uh, my my take on this was that uh, you look at academics nowadays and very rarely would you see someone saying things as are because this is what Schopenhauer criticized and people like Hegel uh, they are rent seekers he called them mm. Mm. Uh, this is so why because they are funded by the government and if you're funded by the government then automatically you're you're shackled and you're conditioned by whatever the government uh, tells you or you know they're uh, overlooking uh, your work and their etc. So nowadays you have also peer reviews etc. Long story short, 
you look at, and this is why I cited two examples I'm familiar with, you mm. look at rappers and you look at stand-up comedians and they don't give a shit about uh, what the norms say. So they question them and they create a space for discussion whether or not we like it, right? So it's not only, it's not that they're irritable. Of course, it's very vulnerable because they need to be funny or they need to be good at what they do. But instead of, uh, or in addition, we can talk about this later, that, uh, that part, like peer review. Uh, but in addition to this, they really create a space. They, they, they touch on the important topics. Like a rapper doesn't only juggle rhymes. They also have content there. And stand-up comedians as well. Like, of course, they need to be funny, but then if you, if you look at what they're doing, um, there's more to it than just them being funny, kind of. And and this is this is this is why I saw in them modern day philosophers in the marketplace. And the marketplace here is really the antithesis of the faculty. Yes. Okay. I I want to get into this because yeah. you mentioned this several times in in, in the book and. You sort of, I think you're upset at your own sort of experience. And, I, you know, I want to touch on this um, again, quoting you. Uh, Everything I am writing about is the result of personal observation. It would not hurt to remind you that while I am trying to stress the importance of not taking oneself all too seriously, I'm not interested in mounting a rigorous argument. Yeah. You mentioned very specific cases where you're the, where you're the runner up twice for full-time yeah. professor and yep. and you don't make it yep. and you don't make it for the reasons you mentioned have to do more with just faculty politics uh, faculty politics yep. and then you put the Lebanese context in there and it becomes very personal and very emotional and very silly and I think you I don't know if you say brown nosing but you do say sort of kissing up or sucking up to uh, to you have to suck up to people to make it uh, and and yeah uh, yeah but but that said and that's a very this is all sort of obvious and maybe AUB and LAU are famous for that too but <laughs> but I can only think of rigorous argument as being that's the backbone to any pursuit at any academic mm. the rigorous argument <laughs> is part of philosophy too it's not opposed to the endeavor itself. I would like to think that rigorous argument plays a fundamental role. And here I, I hear you saying here that it's enough of that. Enough of that. It's time maybe to look into areas that are more important. And that is your, your, what you define as the marketplace. Not just you, of course. Yeah. There's many people that sort of have gone that, that route. Of course. Yeah. yeah, but why is it so bad to have the rigorous rigorous argument as maybe equally important? Um, we, we would get into a different kind of discussion when it comes to, to, to rigorous argumentation here. It's uh, like, what, what would we define as rigorous argument? Here we would be doing kind of philosophy, right? Uh, it's like, this is exactly my point. It's, 
what we think is rigorous argument is ultimately could be, I can argue rigorously, that it's arbitrary. Uh, the premises that we, like if I'm going to be giving you an argument based on premises and the conclusion mm, to analytic, mm. uh, it makes sense, it's very solid, etc. If my premises are false, the argument is false. So what point does it matter if I give you a very rigorous argument, but the content is, is wrong or false? I think it's more, in my eyes, more like theory and practice. A, a musicologist will have to study music in, in ways that are outdated and will have to explore theories that are no longer, or, or maybe they don't play a fundamental role today. And a musicologist yeah. could also be a rapper or whatever. They could, could make their own individual music and be more successful. And maybe their talent is in True. that pursuit. But at the same time, the theory behind it, the structure, I mean, what else is a university mm, yeah. for at the end of the day? I, I don't think of any uh, skill I acquired in the university setting that I use right now in my financial situation, if that makes any sense. I, my, yeah. my marketplace endeavor and my university background don't line up. But, and, but, but being yeah. able to maybe see as wide of a prism as possible and being able to have the background to know at least where the ideas are coming from or how they're formulated, I owe that to university. I think that is, uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Not, not to the, sorry, not to the experience of teaching or academia and the faculty as a student. Uh, yeah, as a student. Yeah. I, this is, um, that's uh, like, also that's part of, it's it's uh, it's interesting that you brought this up because this is also another thing that I was thinking about. Like nowadays, I I question, I personally question the the point of of the university, um, tertiary education, if you want. It's like what's the point? Because everyone. So this is what I'm seeing nowadays, mm, and mm. and this is where the irritability comes from. And by the way, <laughs> someone I know a few days ago. No, but I'm I'm saying this because. Uh, I, I was talking to someone uh, a few days ago, and he was like, yes, uh, I, the book is interesting, but then it's like, enough with the hate on academia, kind of. Uh, to a degree, I, sh I share the same sentiment, that there's a lot, there is a misgiving that I don't, I, I sense is more personal on your side, but I'm not challenging on, the, on that front. I'm saying uh, like... yeah." There's but for, yeah. Forget my experience as mm, a as mm, a professor. Yeah, mm -hmm. like this is the the personal aside. It's like yeah. Uh, um, I have come to real like, but, but this is this is my point. Like let's 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 distinguish between two things. Uh, my experience as a professor, mm -hmm. like with uh, full time etc., and my experience as a professor, just as an as an external observer at how things are being done. Right. So within uh, the system, yeah. but not. Yeah. So yeah, yeah take yeah. take that personal part out. Mm -hmm. it's, so mm -hmm. you look at you look at the politics, at the curriculum, etc., and where things are heading. And I think the problem. This is this is why I started thinking about uh, the need for people to to shake uh, the system. And this is basically what the French philosophers were doing uh, at the turn of the, uh, the century, or or later on, like mid fifties. They were trying to, 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 to stir up the system, but then they became part of the system as well. So 
nowadays, like you're talking about freedom of expression, for example, yeah? yeah. And, and you look at how things are done in, in, in liberal arts classes, and I don't see freedom of expression anymore. I see preaching. Uh, so bit by bit, without people noticing, everything is becoming all too, um, uh, on the one hand, static, and uh, it's it's become just pre-packaged. This is how the students should think, not the students should learn how to think. So now you're giving them not the tools, but you're giving them uh, how or what they need to think, kind of speak. So the, even in philosophy. Oh, I, so so I mean, even in the like the one, the one department that should be immune yes. to all this, really. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Um, and I can um, examples in in classes on and off campus, yeah, and in discussions with other people. It's like if you so much as dare uh, bring or or explore a topic or an issue from a different perspective, you're automatically labeled. What what is what does the alternative perspective mean in that sense? Because it, it can't be like debating Let's Socrates, and it can't it can't be free healthcare or not. You know, so, like so oh really? Hmm. Yeah, of course. Hmm. Yeah, and instead of having a serious discussion about it to, to figure out what the problem is, or or you know explore these issues further and in depth in depth and think about them. Uh, some people would autom would just automatically discard uh, the possibility of thinking about topics like that from a libertarian perspective, like thinking, let's think about healthcare as a commodity. They cannot even entertain that. You know? hmm. So we're not telling them this is how you should think or not. They, they're not even open to the possibility of thinking about this as a possible argument. So, and I'm giving you just like one simple example because I don't want to get into other uh, issues. Like this is no, but that's that's a relative. That's a relatively, that's a relatively safe hmm? topic. That, yeah. So, yeah. okay, I, I'm gonna again quote you to you because I think this lines up with <laughs> the issue of uh, dogmatism. And and you say yeah. when you become dogmatic about your stances. And I'm assuming here you're referring specifically to a philosophy professor or, or anybody that's sort of stuck in their in their views. Anyone? In, it could yeah. be it could be someone religious as well. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so, that doesn't really matter. Or a, someone who's into politics as well. You can be exactly about right. Political yeah. So when the ideas stagnate and one sort of yeah, uh, when you become dogmatic about your stances and you start having ego problems, you turn into a typical <laughs> philosophy professor. Yeah. You'd be able to get away with things, and your arguments could go unchecked. Typical philosophy professor is somebody with an ego and dogmatic about their views. See, and I, I ask you this because I my fondest course is from the late 1990s, undergraduate course. Uh, I got bumped into an advanced philosophy class. And I sort of did that because the introduction course... The professor was so good, so good, he allowed several students to merge the introduction with the advance and have like a six-credit course where you're, you're really taking two courses at once. I, I think, I wish I could find these. I have no idea where they are. And I'm, I'm 18, you know, I'm a kid. But I'm being pushed 
and pushed to think and really think about things that I have no knowledge on. And it's a crash course. And I never once experienced, and this is my own case, I never once experienced a dogmatic view. All I experienced was somebody challenging our thoughts and making us challenge ourselves. And that's, that's the impression I got from philosophy and a philosophy course. Is that, is that something that just is gone altogether? Or is it, is it something that's bigger than that? It's, it's permutating all things. Because you mentioned politics, polarization. Yeah. You also mentioned yeah. religion. Is it a consequence of something else? Or is it really just uh, academia and philosophy don't go well together? Uh, no, it, it, it might have been different before because even my experience of, of philosophy was different at, at university. So, okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, the, the courses I took were really uh, also challenging and, and it, it pushed us and it, uh, uh, it got us to think about things also. To, like, it did not give us a formula. It, it just taught us, it just raised questions and um, it didn't give us any answers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, this that's is very important for philosophy. But um, like, of course, and, and this is why I said I'm going to be generalizing a lot because this is based on my experience, of course. Mm. Uh, so if someone, I always come across people who teach at uh, community colleges in the USA and the US and they don't have a, that Problem. So that their jobs are less at risk. Less at risk, exactly. So whereas if if you want to maintain, like I'm, I'm trying to diagnose the problem here, mm -hmm. uh, maybe. But uh, what you could see twenty years ago is no more the case because nowadays, for example, um, if you want uh, to have because there are. In, in certain places, there are low enrollment uh, in, in philosophy courses, say. And in order to incentivize students to take philosophy courses, w they get uh, scholarships and funding. So, for example, mm -hmm. the funding would... Uh, uh, one of the conditions of the funding is that it should be uh, channeled to a course that tackles these issues. These and issues so, meaning like, well, I'm particular. Oh, issues. okay, yeah, yeah, right, right, what, yeah. But it's uh, because yeah. we would get into a problem ourselves. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so they state uh, one of yeah one of their conditions is that you have to have a course on this topic, particular topic, and by this particular topic, I'm not. It's not Aristotle. Sometimes they do have that, hmm. but then nowadays it's becoming more politicized and political. And so students now take these courses because they are paid for. And so you can see where the between brackets, like there's some sort of agenda that is being, uh, yeah. So the course. pursuit is money. Is it something like that where you don't, you're not studying philosophy or even if you are studying philosophy, you're not even given access to what a philosophy degree really should be, that it's constrained. And it could be constrained for reasons that are financial, meaning that you don't want to get a lawsuit, 
could be that the scholarship scholarship has in, has restrictions within it to not teach certain things, or maybe the department or to teach certain things. Or, exactly to focus on certain things and ignore yeah. certain things, and that in the middle, in the cracks, are the risk takers that find themselves sort of kicked out. Yes and no. Like I can say it was I can say I'm I'm just plain stupid because I get myself <laughs> fired from, from all from all positions I, I get. Like I'm I don't I don't mind saying that. But in, in this one particularly, um and and I already mentioned that before it's uh the uh that I I got uh, or the fallout was uh because I as I already explained before uh, students were complaining that I was scaring them. So it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a um, uh, a disagreement over what I should be teaching, or uh, what kind of uh, you know uh, technology I should be using, active learning techniques, etc. It was simply about whether I wanted them to study or not. So you're scare, scaring them with the choice of topic or scaring them? No. No. By telling them if, you're, if, if you don't study, you will, uh, you will fail this course. Oh, but that's my whole university experience. I mean, why is that scary today? Yeah. Uh, because it's not why is that scary today. It's why are universities scared of such a thing? Mm. Mm. Low enrollment. So they need to maintain their clients because now they talk about students as clients so it's become a business model so so the students felt that you were being too hard on them yeah and that that's where the issue that's what it is at, at the core is that you wanted to teach a certain way that made sense to you it's probably how you were taught i mean it's not it, even not even that it's no. just i it's something i do at the beginning of the course to just scare away those who Scared away those who don't want the with your permission with your permission since you're not teaching at these <laughs> institutions and you've gone rogue and you teach your own yeah. online yeah, can you yeah. share an can you be like a little can you share an anecdote maybe an example how you would because I don't think this is like scary as in horror movie scary I think it's more no, like get your shit like, together uh, yeah so so the the problem is the following and and I already discussed that several times like uh, so. It, it might explain where everything is or what the, what the problem is. So, for example, and, and they have this problem now because it's online. So before that, usually um, a philosophy class uh, that has more than at most 25 students is very difficult to teach. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. So even now I'm doing things myself mm. and I cap it at 20 students. Like I'm teaching right. online, yeah. and it's scalable, and I and I keep it. I cap it at twenty students, and sometimes I would open capacity for for those who are interested. But then, because I know they're interested, and so it's the dynamics of the discussion is going to be not as difficult as as forty students in class, right? Right. So, in other in, in certain institutions, uh, the capacity is forty students. And if you show up to class and you have 40 students who are taking the course because they have to, mm. your experience, you don't really have enough choice to, to engage in a discussion or mm. really 
because a philosophy course is a heavily discussion oriented class. Of course, yeah. So and these, these were students in classes a lot. These are undergraduate courses, right? Not. Uh, yeah, yeah, undergrad, yeah, undergrads. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, so, so this is this is why I adopted this strategy, whereby the, fir the during add and drop, I would try to lower the numbers of students in my class. But then afterwards, it's because I would have like twenty five students in class. That yeah. would be ideal. Uh -huh. So the classes would become automatically more interesting. Right. Fourteens. It's like. Now, with online teaching, they have 50 students in class. They, so, so now, because of COVID, they've been, they, yes. upped it up, they upped it to 50. Yes. So it's like, what kind of philosophy are you teaching in a 50 students class? But can I, this, is this a personal thing for you? Or is this a standard sort of experience no, teaching? No, it's a standard. So, so philosophy, yeah. Yeah. you know, I, I'm, a, I'm glad you bring this up. That philosophy course I took, I think, was maybe twenty students only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it couldn't be an auditorium class. No, because you need to engage your students. It's not a course you just have PowerPoint slides about Hegel yeah, or whatever. It's, it's or not about, a biology course. Or it's, yeah, it's not. Yeah, exactly. It, it, yeah, exactly. A, yeah. Yeah. So we, you need to discuss. You need to to see what they think. You need to expose them to other views. You need mm. to have a discussion and steer it in a way such that you would show them. Uh, the different views, different arguments, explain them, get them to ask questions. So it's in a, in a 50 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes course, that's, it, it just doesn't work. Uh, my courses now, even though it's just one, uh, one month course, I, I teach twice uh, a week, two hours each session. Right. And then at a university level, it would be probably 45 minutes or something, right? 45 minutes. Yeah. yeah. So you barely have enough time to... Ask okay, a question. So, so this actually is taking me to the other issue I wanted to bring up with you, which is, well, there's really there's two very big things I want to discuss, and and the first is what it's like to do this on your own. It sounds so seductive. You're able to choose just the number you want. I'm gonna guess you can choose not just the length, but the time that best suits you. Uh, the location, as long as you have Wi-Fi, anywhere. You could go to Greenland and teach you your course. Yeah. You, can, yep. you, could, you could do this from Canada. You can do this yeah. from anywhere. And, uh, yeah, Wi-Fi becomes the... Maybe, is that why you're leaving? Because you can't, you can't teach it. <laughs> I need Wi-Fi and electricity. That's yeah, all I need. It's true. These are actually, your, yeah. you know... Yeah. But But it's, for the most part, you're your own editor i mean nobody's telling you how to do it you have to you have to tell yourself and i yeah. and, and within that i think i am my harshest critic when people yeah. compliment me uh i probably i have a filter where i don't hear it i just don't hear it what i do hear though yeah. it's one out of maybe a hundred comments or even less maybe could be one out of hundreds just slightly negative, maybe, and I obsess over it. And then I uh, obsess yeah. not because they're being too hard on me. I'm obsessing meaning like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's nothing compared to what I think about myself. I'm much harder on myself than you're on me. But going, going rogue, 
and teaching a course online. Does it, is it really just perfect for a personality like your own? Meaning that you don't have tolerance for the, the contrary. You don't have tolerance for the concerns of an institution. You're not willing. Yes. You're not willing to play by rules that were set. Yeah. And that uh, you, not that were set. Hmm. That are that I see as either unnecessary or unfair. Unfair. Um, so yeah, uh, hmm. or or for unnecessary, like maybe unfair is a is a big word here. Uh, like I can go on and on, but sometimes you really like, for example, um, let's take uh, a different example that has nothing to do with academia, a nine to five job, for example. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and I see this in Lebanon constantly. And I tweeted about this the other day. It's like, if, if Corona or COVID has taught us one thing is that you don't really sometimes or more often than not, you don't really have to be in an office. Yeah. So why the right. hell do some employers insist on having people go to the office? You know, so this is this for, for me and I am not uh, uh, like this doesn't concern me. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I look at it and I'm like, like seriously, if, if they're doing their job, why do you have to be? too controlling or too obsessive over whether this person is in the office or is somewhere else in so far as of course their job allows them or permits them to do that like there it, it will not affect their productivity or the, like the, the nature of the job is such that you don't have to be located geographically in one mm. place mm. like why not do it so this is the these are this is what i think as or unnecessary or for example right but then there's that social benefit where if you don't go to an office, I don't myself, but I know that there's a consequence here, which is you're, you have to have very high social stamina and extroverted tendency to, to, to have friends, to go and meet people. In other words, in other words, the average, I think the average employee, their whole life revolves around that, that, the destination. So a nine to five job, I think anyone now, I think most professions, COVID, like you said, it's, it's just that example that everyone has in front of them. They can work from home, but very few people want to keep doing this. Very few. I think there's a real deep desire to socialize again. I, I think that's really where the benefit is. It's not, and of course there's it, there's structural advantage of having one location to solve all problems. It could just be literally a, it could be just something very simple that there's one location for everything, but there's also the social benefit, the social aspect. And I, 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 the reason I bring this up from now is because I was wondering if you're finding this to be a lonelier journey, more, more professionally rewarding, maybe, but socially distant and, Maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I, I yearn for the time that I can do an episode in person again. Hmm. I really miss I, that. Yeah, I see. I, um, I really miss the human experience. <laughs> so two things. First off, when it comes to, to my courses, because you were asking about uh, that, um, I actually wrote or published an article just today so that you see where, where it's oh. coming from. And I'll, I'll quote... Uh, quote yourself to yourself. 
uh, to you because oh, it's I don't, I don't remember the exact phrasing because this is exactly what you mentioned about obsessing mm. not over uh, the uh, the praise that you get uh, yeah. but over the criticism that you get. Mm, mm, so mm, mm. you start getting honest feedback, which I think is a much better indicator of how to refine and improve the quality of your content. You learn more about yourself and your audience by listening to what they have to say. An experience of this sort is much more important, I have come to realize, than, say, feedback you get at the company you worked for. In the digital marketplace, you directly get feedback from those who are interested in your work. Mostly, the criticism and suggestions you receive are more genuine. Instead of being evaluated by, by uh, certain standards uh, that are universal and need to be applied across an institution, uh, and where sometimes they are just arbitrary, in the marketplace, you really are evaluated for the content that you put forward uh, or that you offer. And so people who take my classes and, I, and they write a feedback afterwards, I take it more seriously. Why? Because they genuinely are interested in the content I'm offering or they're un interested in philosophy. And so instead of getting like a student uh, review that is based on the uh, the grade or how well they performed in the course or being evaluated by let's say the dean or or the chairperson here you're you're getting evaluated directly or in a more honest manner no one is like they can say it straight to your face and they couldn't care less they're like yeah i would rather that you do this this way or that you've in, that you might include this right? and so it's is it's there an interesting yeah. Is there anything that that made you better, made your work better as a result of peer review, where no. faculty? No, nothing, nothing. No. Okay. Nothing. So, because that, that's 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 the gold standard, right? Yeah. I mean, you get your journals or your articles are published uh, yeah. among among colleagues, not among your students, right? So students yeah. don't really have a say in that. But here, you've sort of you've lost that the upper yeah. sort of. There's no disadvantage for you in, in losing no. that? Hmm. It's, hmm. It's, it's in fact, um, it's, uh, it has more advantages uh, because seriously, hmm. the feedback you get is, is very, very interesting. Sometimes uh, the criticism that you get is, is insightful and, and it's honest. And mm. I appreciate that. And this is, we go back to the same mm. issue mm. we discussed mm. at the beginning. It's like, they, it's, it has nothing to do with what you do. So, for example, uh, I can be more honest with them and I can tell someone to fuck off if I don't want them in my course and I make sure to say it. I don't really mind. And I did that once. Uh, ironically enough, the person kept attending. After you said that? Yes. Like I did not say fuck off as such, but I snapped mm. uh, because, they, because they weren't able to entertain a different argument or to look at things differently. So I snapped post class and everyone was, some, some people were there, like I did not do it in private, but anyway, like we had an exchange, but it was again, an honest exchange. So it wasn't, it wasn't personal. It wasn't there. There is no, this baggage whereby I have to play politics with you because I need the promotion later on or because I need uh, you to, 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 to have my back when I need, when I present this or that or when I apply for a grant, you know, so there's there it's it's much more direct kind of so 
until now, of course, this is something you mentioned with uh, with uh, when it comes to stand-up comedians. It's like they're they have direct feedback, kind of. So if, if they're not funny, they would know that. Absolutely. But I'm going to play devil's advocate because I'm going to mention somebody yeah. that that you mentioned in the book, and somebody that we both watch, I think, regularly, who's Joe Rogan. His whole career is sort of born out of the comedy store in Los Angeles. Yeah. And you have the owner who vets mm -hmm. the comedians and does not sort of, you need, there's a hazing process. And you're not allowed to have a headlining uh, set until the peer, the, the, the owner and the peers, for the most part, agree that you've got what it takes. That's the antithesis. That's the complete opposite of an Instagram influencer sharing their comedy. They may be very funny. They could be hilarious and extremely talented, but they don't have the, there's no promotion. There's no sort of, uh, there's no chain of command. And if you go back a generation earlier, stand-up comedians, the only way they could be known was by showing up on a TV show late at night, it's a night show in America. And if they did well, they had a career. If they bombed, you'd never hear from them again. So there's this like pressure to do well. A lot of pressure, a lot of anxiety. And the, those that have what it takes, for the most part, are names that we know now. This time around, there's no pressure. You are the owner. You're your own peer. It's your, it's your mind at work. I, there has to be a disadvantage there where the class is telling you, the students are telling you what they like and don't like, but you don't have anything to sort of tell you you need to do better. And at the end of the day, they're students. They're not, they're there to well, hear, hmm, sorry. Yeah. No, but uh, yeah, I, and it's, it's an interesting point, but first off, like they're not, they're not undergrads. Uh, the participants in my courses nowadays come from all walks of life mm. and from all age groups. Right, right. I have I have uh, managing partners in firms, and I have yeah. people uh, who actually are either graduates or undergrads, and I have people who are retired, people who just are uh, interested in philosophy because people yeah. who are you know. Right. And I have people based in Europe and uh, and business people like yeah, uh, and in in California and in Texas and Beirut. It's mm. so so you're exposed to a wider uh, audience base. This is first like they, mm -hmm. these people mm -hmm. know what they want if you want. So mm. so the more you get exposed to these to their experiences to their interests etc. You it, it automatically, uh, you get signals so that you would improve here or tackle this issue here or to, what to do better and, and certain right. or, or what topics to cover or how to do it, how to make it more accessible, etc. Uh, so this is on the one hand. But when it comes to the chain of command, it's... Or, or the structure, the pyramid, where you know what you need to do to get there. Without that pyramid, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's flattening everything. It's almost like everything is up for, for grabs. And yet, there's nothing really to grab to. There's nothing really to, there's no direction per se. Yeah. Yeah, That's... there's nothing, I mean, I, I'm in this world too. So I, I, I'm wondering myself, 
at times, whether or not there's any intimidation here or, or disadvantage? Um, the way I see it now, it's I, I think it's much better. Uh, so there's this, mm. uh, like I haven't finished uh, the book. I'm, I'm reading this book by uh, Ricardo Semler uh, mm-hmm. about his, uh, how he revamped his company Semco in Brazil. Um, uh, they, they sold, uh, equipments and, uh, like parts, uh, submarine parts or things like, or pipes, etc. And, but the point is he, the first thing he did when he got into office, he took over his, uh, dad's, uh, company. It was like, I'm going to be doing things differently. And, and um, what he does is he just, uh, this is where I got to now, he, he automatically fires all those in the management, uh, the, the board of directors, if you want, or the mm. board of trustees or the, you know, uh, and, and he's like, yeah, we don't need you anymore. So he cuts down, uh, he, he fires all these unnecessary positions. Uh, they didn't have a secretary. They didn't have office boys. They didn't have anything of the sort. <laughs> and and instead of creating more hierarchy, what he did is he flattened things uh, at the company. So, of course, you had a leader or you had the manager of a certain department, but the, the employees uh, evaluated their manager and not vice versa. So if they weren't happy with their manager, the manager gets fired. Right. So it was a bottom-up kind of approach. Bottom-up, right. And he, they did not really have any set schedule. Uh, you could come in or you could clock in anytime you wanted. Uh, and they left it up for the employees to decide who's going to come when. And they had open books, uh, the, the, their, uh, their accounts and their finances. And the employees chose their salaries. So you could look at, so everything was transparent. Yeah, and I know this this might not be quite related to what you're saying, but the, the chain of command was not really there, and and the CEO he says I was there just to be as a to act as a catalyst. I just put things out there and and everything. I didn't need to be there. He says I took two months vacations. Sometimes I came back. My office was relocated to a smaller place, and I was happy because, in so far as everything is working, I don't really mind, and so. I would want to ask you, isn't this better? Like maybe the stress that we add uh, with this chain of command and you reporting and and wanting that promotion or or having the illusion that now you're at a uh, you're you you're you're climbing up the ladder of whatever it is and now you you have promotion from assistant mm-hmm. to associate mm-hmm. or from whatever uh, associate to senior to manager blah blah blah. Is this how things should be? Because you would be instead of focusing on your job now, you're you're focusing more on 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 climbing the hierarchy ladder. You want to become a, a manager or a dean or, or you know you're so you're constantly aspiring for more, such that you really forget about your and you add stress. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking. I no, I, okay. So I'm, I'll link it to your book. And I'll link it also to uh, another question I wanted to ask you. And I'll start with my own sort of uh, take on, on, on this. I, I mean, for the most part, I'm in a similar situation, for the, for the most part. Um, I am now 
doing a trial run with uh, with a with an outlet that requires some there's there's levels I have to work with somebody who will edit what I have to say and uh, that person has a superior that will have to green light it and it may not be what I want to express it may end up being uh, another idea to and, and in total, it may actually be not even what I wanted to start with. Um, but, and this is a very recent uh, thing that I've been doing. It is, it reminded me that I've been very narrow. And I've been very narrow and very good at a few things. And I've gotten really good at a few things. But I may not be as good as I used to be in other things. And that, I think uh, it has opened my mind back to the way it used to open in that philosophy course. And it also opened it in a way that I used to have to deal with, whether yeah. that's a nine to five job that I want at some, there was a time in my life that I was not doing these things, that I had, uh, I had desk jobs, I had, uh, I had office work, may not be the most exciting, was rarely very exciting but uh, but it definitely made me realize that I've been I've I've I just narrowed the prison so I'm less comfortable today as a result of exploring things that I may have been more more comfortable doing years ago as a result of going solo doing things oh. on my own and it's a very recent feeling and uh, I may not even survive the uh, trial run. I mean, this is really just a fresh thing, but it's made me, it's made me work very hard. So I know that I'm actually, I'm pushing myself also in, in an uncomfortable way. Probably the way I used to push myself when there was a supervisor or whatever, somebody overseeing my work and telling me it's kind of, it is kind of like a supervisor actually. It's somebody telling you this is not good enough, and I'm I'm sure it's good enough, but it's not good enough. Yeah, this, but this, I'll just okay. I'll I'll add one more thing, and then we can sort of yeah, uh, sure. yeah. This is the reason why I haven't self-published. I have a, I have something that's approaching eighty thousand words. It should be a little longer at oh, the wait, end. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I haven't self-published even though i thought it was done several times i look back on it and then i know that if i self-publish there will be people buying it i'm sure about this people will buy it but i'll never know i'll never know if it was up to the standard the standard not set by me not set by me it's not my standard right yeah. but, but i'll never know if it's the standard that everyone else went through to get on a bookshelf or or to have the title not just shared by me but shared by the chain <laughs> and i know there's a bit of uh it's almost like um you're selling out a bit by by wanting that at the same time i would never know i'll just never know and if i push that button tomorrow i could release it and it may I'll just never know the value from somebody whose whole job is to 
be very blunt and say, this is not good enough. Try again. It's been sitting on a bookshelf for almost three years, and I haven't, uh, I haven't released it. That's why, uh, that's why I'm bringing up this self-publishing question right now, because you did it. You said, screw yeah. it. You, you literally said, screw it. I'm going to release my own book. And I like, by the way, I like that you even don't care about chapters or even like you just say, you know, whenever there's a new topic, you bold the topic. There's no like <laughs> you're literally doing it your way. So it's very it's renegade. But uh, I don't have the maybe I don't have the risk in. To me, it's too risky to go down that road. I'll ask you one question before yes. we discuss that, mm -hmm. because it's also something I, I was discussing with this other person uh, two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And and I'll uh, tie it back to what was going on in 19th century Germany and other <laughs> places, of course, but yeah. because I know more about about that uh, period and and, you know, the romantics and, and these philosophers and what they were doing, even including Marx later on. Um, for those who think I, I hate Marx, uh, this is why I mention him. But uh -huh. anyway, so <laughs> like. Um, What's your downside? Like, what's 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 the downside if you publish it tomorrow? Like, I know you wouldn't know whether or not it's it's the you will get or it's uh, it's up to the standards. But but what's the downside really? It's like it's uh, it's only it's only competing with me. It's not competing with anyone else but me, and I don't know if I'm good enough for that. According to whose standards? I guess according to every other book that I've read, with the, with the exception of a few that are self-published. Yours is one of them. There's others, too. I mean, I, I have read self-published books. Uh, for the most part, online. Rarely is it in, in uh, hard copy. But even then, I've picked up a few hard copy. Friends have sent me something that's... I look for the publisher in the back. I'm like, We're, oh, right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll then I'll I'll ask you another question. Are you interested in people reading it, or are you interested more in getting the recognition by by that? By the the first one. The first one. Yeah. First Which one. is people reading it, right? Yeah. 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 So if you have, if you've built an audience, let's say over the past uh, year or two years. And now you have people who want to listen to what you have to say. Wouldn't this be enough? I had thousands of people go on the tour that I give on and off for the last almost now 14 years. And I think yeah. that I, I would have, I think I could imagine thousands of copies, if I'm lucky, purchased online. Yeah. So I don't think, hmm, I think there is a number that would have been satisfied. But in my mind, I'd like to at least assume that I have something that is m appealing to people that don't know me. And uh, yeah. I, I would want them to access me the way a friend would access me, meaning they see us, there's a topic they're interested in and I'm available. It's a very, very long road and it's om I think it's impossible to get your name out in a way that a publisher can share you the world over it's very hard this is not just books I mean, musicians have the same problem the many musicians that make their own music they 
they have their 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 music appears in Spotify or whatever, and yeah. but they've gone alone and they're making they're making some money, but it's not as easy as having a a license or whatever licensing or uh, not licensing sorry a record deal or or something yeah. where the industry helps you. Um, well, yeah. No, I. And I honestly, it's like I don't even know if there's a right or wrong here, but it's more like a hesitation. It's kind of like, and this is no way, a, this is not an insult towards you. It's not an insult towards you or what you're doing. I, I'm, I'm in the same. I'm in the same camp. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm selling myself short. Yeah. But so so this is. I can give you two or three examples. Three examples. One one from the music industry. One from the. Um, uh, book, mm-hmm. if you want, pub- uh, publishers, book, uh, two kinds of examples there, one from Mark Manson and one from 19th century Germany. Switch to something more serious between brackets, if, if sure. this is, uh, yeah. Uh, 50 Cent, and I, I left it out. Uh, I wanted to write a, a chapter about 50 Cent, but then I chose not to, but uh, like the... And the Eminem and all these rappers, mm-hmm. like for you to be recognized by someone, if you if this is your your goal, you have to at least put your work out there. At oh sure, point. yeah, yeah. So Fifty Cent, what Fifty Cent did, well, he had already a, a, a record deal, but then he got shot, and then he lost the deal because they thought, well, you know, this guy's getting himself into trouble. We're not going to be. Uh, releasing his music, or we don't want uh, any anything that has to do with him, um, and he decided to just uh, record his uh, another album, and he was giving it out for free mm-hmm. on the street. Mm-hmm. Eminem and Dr. Dre got hold of it, and they were like, "This guy sounds interesting." Right. So. So it's a stepping stone. It's a stepping it's stone a, to yeah. For example, so the, right. the the title is called "Put Your Work Out There," which is I which which is the one I just published. Like, right? It need not be this eighty thousand uh, words book because this is a lot. Uh, like, it can be just a short story, for example. Like, because otherwise, uh, if if you don't put yourself out there and you don't receive feedback from the people directly, you wouldn't really be able to. To improve or to tweak. So you uh, see that. So yeah. this is really just like maybe this would get you a book deal. I'm not even. No, I'm not even thinking about no, this. No, but no, it's no. Just, okay. Like in my case, my, my goal is different. Right, but, right, but right. I don't. But it it could be that. Mm. Like Mark Manson. This is where Mark Manson comes in. Mark Manson. The first book he he published was about uh, how to date women. You know, Mark Manson is the guy from the art, the subtle art of not giving a fuck, yeah. Right, yeah. And he's a bestseller now, mm-hmm. and and he published through an uh, a publisher and a publishing house. Mm. But the first book, it was self-published on on Amazon, right, right. And he was a blogger, and he was putting his work out there, so people were reading, and then bit by bit, uh, you know, you maybe get uh, recognized uh, by scouts and. So whatever he, the publishing house scouts. So yeah. so now you have like you've established some sort of credibility in what you do, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But he, but he had a platform that he could lean on already. He created it for himself. 
That, that's true. He created it for himself. But if I remember, you tell me if I'm wrong here. He was already a household. His name was widely known before he sold that book on Amazon. It wasn't just like a guy with a book that he wanted to sell and it went went viral. It's not no, like it was pretty much like uh, like that because Re- well, really? he was a he was a he was a well known blogger, but he wasn't like he was even it caught him by surprise when he when he mm. became a bestseller on on uh, the yeah. New York bestselling list or whatever. But then he's so, one, he's so one even, of those he's an exception in that sense because he got lucky. Course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. But then, but the idea is like otherwise, if you just keep on. Um, sending your your draft to, to, to publishers and then you can get I, rejections, rejections, rejections. Hey, the personal like, question, and you tell yeah. me I can remove it by then if you think if it's too no, personal. I don't, I don't. Were you trying to get this published and nobody? No, no you weren't. No, no. You didn't even try that. Okay, I didn't okay. even care about that. You didn't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It was uh, so. And I'll I'll get back to that to tell you where the idea of, of publishing a book came from because mm-hmm. it's not even a book it's like a, a booklet. If you want. Well, it's actually if, I mean if anything I, and I do need to mention this I, these are I'm guessing these are your students that made you really upset. I'll, uh, um, uh, abstractive Jade and uh, Georgina Relative, Relativina. <laughs> I mean. I'm guessing these are AUB kids that just pissed you off. No, nope. no, no. Nope. Okay, nope. all right. No, no, no. <laughs> my my experience at at university with with students has always been good. Okay, so these are just li- literally I'm, fictional characters. They uh... Uh, or uh, <laughs> I met at philosophy conferences. Right, I see. Okay, yeah, okay. but yeah, not yeah. students. Like not I've students. I've always been on good terms with students. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> uh, because. I don't really take myself too seriously in class, except for the first uh, week. And you just, and you make it clear over and over. You're not taking yourself seriously even in this book. I mean, you're you're yeah. that's sort of like that's the thesis of the whole book. It's like there's just one life. Going back, um, I'll, I'll to just uh, clarify things. Mm-hmm. I'll now switch to the 19th century example, yes. the yeah, German yeah. Romantics, yeah. and then I'll go back to what made me. Um, opt for self-publishing, sure. if you want, or yes. to just put my work out there. If if you look at, at at what philosophers were doing back in the day, they were, if you really think about it, they were uh, at least people like Hegel and Schelling and uh, Hölderlin and Schlegel brothers, etc. They got together and they they just decided to start a magazine, mm. to, to publish mm. a magazine. So they they would start a magazine and they would start publishing it. Or they would just publish their their books, and then of course they would also submit their essays or participate in in competitions, essay competitions by uh, done by the government or whatever. But uh, and even Marx started a publishing house, mm. or a magazine, it was I think. So so they didn't really mind that much um, just publishing or self publishing between brackets. So, so that wasn't wasn't a problem up to a certain point, even though some of them, or eventually they would be published by, you know, uh, uh, reputable publishers or, or editorials. Sure, but, uh, but, but we know about them because their works have been published. Otherwise, these would have just been sort of lost. I mean, we, we know, 
No, you don't but think they, so. Some, in, in certain instances, they they just they self-published as well, mm, and they, right. and the magazines yeah, yeah. were self-published, and they, mm. they would get together and they're like, yeah, we need to start a magazine, and they would start the magazine, and it it would it picks up. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, so why not do that? It's a fair question, and you've gone that road. Yeah. Uh, 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 because, and I'll tell you where the where, what we were discussing. Uh, sorry, now I'm interrupting you. Uh, this mm-hmm. is where my the, the premise or the the issue I was discussing. Sometimes when when you don't put your work out there, I think you're missing out on the opportunity, or you assume that this work is a finished product, that you're not going to become, that you're not going to uh, to evolve, or that you're not going to be revising it. Like mm-hmm. you can't. Mm-hmm. And I use the example of Kant. I can give you other examples as well, like Schelling, for other philosophers. But Kant published his first, he spent seven years writing the Critique of Pure Reason, uh, one of his seminal works. Mm. And no one understood it. He had to revise it. And he published the second edition right away, like right after it. He was like, yeah. no one is understanding anything. So, right, right. So he didn't, he didn't, um, he didn't think to himself, Oh my God! No, you need to, to understand what I wrote because this is my finished work. No, he he was humble enough to to revise it. So, but but he was able to do that because he was getting feedback from the people, or at least those who read it, or and his friends who tried to understand what he was saying. Mm-hmm. So, so there's I think when you look at it this way as as an ongoing work, like I wouldn't mind in in a few years or maybe in a few months to to add more to it. To, to this book and then uh, make it take out uh, some bits that seem to be uh, more repetitive and it's repetitive um, on purpose and now but I can change the title just like you said like why so serious might seem better I can now change the title and and upload it and you would all receive those who bought a, a copy you would receive an email saying, "Well, it's it's updated. It's there's here here's a second version, I, you know, or edition." I thought about this actually myself. It's like there is that that is the advantage I can point at right away, that you have full control even post publishing. Yeah, I mean, I, you assume that you're. I've it four times, by the way. Since releasing it. Yes. And then. And I've been uploading it, and I right. think you received one email once. That's true. Uh, uh, I announced a, a week ago, maybe or a few days okay, ago. That yeah. Was the, yeah. The last kind of right. uh, uh, revision. Yeah, that, that, that is a built-in advantage, and you assume that everyone who bought it will want to update what you updated. Some people were sending me mistakes, like they were like, oh, look, there's a yeah. mistake here, and, and I was like, yeah, thank you, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, well, you know, it's like... You've well, cut out, you've cut out the middleman, that's for sure. You've, yeah. you're, 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 you've, I mean, the internet is your publisher, if anything. Uh, and it's your own effort. If you don't make an effort, nothing will get released. That's, exactly. That's, yeah. But I still think, I still think, and I could be wrong here, I still think that the net benefit is getting a published book. It could be like the, the, the whole charade of getting an academic piece published in a journal, which you kind, you kind of hint at from time to time, that it's so like it just kind of ends up in the library, nobody reads it. And no one reads it, right? And versus you have a blog and you publish your article on your blog, and I think somehow there is still an advantage of having an academic article that 
a serious student can cite rather than a blog. Now I'm I'm saying this without even like I I look at blogs all the time. I actually yeah. started doing I do data research on Twitter. So I actually social media has become a library for me. But but I still think that the vetting process the the all the all the pain that goes into getting a piece published in a science journal or whatever an academic journal um I think it vets out a lot of the fat and there's so much fat right now and maybe that's one way of doing it it's an old fashioned way it has its flaws too i mean i've worked with an editor i actually had to change my editor because this is not reasonable uh, you, so you have to maybe you have to go a different road sometimes and you have to pick someone that's better suited but um, i don't know it's kind of like I would not be able to write a PhD without a thesis advisor. I would, I think I, I would need a thesis advisor to push me in the right direction. I'm saying this as somebody who knows also that it's very difficult and very un, un sometimes it's, it's painful to have somebody telling you all the time it should be done differently. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, the truth is, at the end of the day, now both options are credible. People make yeah. money. People make money off of Instagram. People sell yeah. their content on Instagram, and they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they have no publisher. <laughs> no publisher. It's them. Because the, the phone is their publisher, and this strange beast, this thing, is their publisher. But yeah. But I think, till this day, I'd rather watch a documentary that was made by a team of journalists covering the US election rather than an Instagram influencer <laughs> telling me what to think. This is why I don't think like you can have uh, like proper debates on, on social on social media. So, like, mm. this is this is why mm. uh, sorry this is why you you just it's snippets, you put it out there, you you fight a bit, you troll other people and that's it. Yeah. But along the way, because this is something you mentioned when it comes to my classes, like the other the other day, um, so this guy is, is a Lebanese expat, he lives in the UK. I had coffee with him here. Mm. So he's, he's visiting. Uh, he's been here for uh, two, three weeks. And we just went and had coffee. So I'm, it's not the only you, you, you met one of your fans. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, no. I've actually I I've been meeting a lot of people before Corona uh -huh. and yeah. uh, now like before Corona even even more. I've been meeting a lot of people uh, and and many who or not many like many are either expats or some of them whom I was able to meet here uh, were non-Lebanese, were international. So. So the, the answer to your, this is what I wanted to point out that when you mentioned the, the lonely aspect, mm, 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 mm. I'm actually meeting people. I'm, I'm usual. And I mentioned that in the other uh, podcast, I'm, I'm an introvert, but it's somehow Twitter gets you, uh, or it, um, it puts you in a certain mindset whereby or, or it puts you out there, so people already know. Like I don't know, it's it's just it facilitates things a bit, at least for for someone like me. 
uh, at the beginning it was they know like, you they know you because they've been watching yeah, you so, yeah so, yes. yeah so you don't have to just you like yeah. you feel like you've, you've known each other for years now because everything is out there and then it makes things easier sure yeah yeah i mean if anything you know them much less if at all because you don't have access to their world I and mean, it's just somebody that's using i mean they they can watch you on a podcast or they can take your course they probably know more about your life than you know uh, oh during the course or we 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 dm or we oh really oh, oh okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so people who I interact with yeah. uh, on a regular basis. Just yesterday as well, I I saw someone who's uh, also is going to be taking a course, um, the, the upcoming course. So it's it's like it's it's interesting. Like yeah, this yeah. this usually doesn't. So it's not as lonely kind right. of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in that sense. So am I? Does it become lonely eventually? I don't know. Now we're with Corona, maybe. But because it's you don't really like I'm not going out a lot, mm. and uh, I've only recently started day, going out for walks, etc. But before that, I was stuck at home. But anyway, so yeah, I I don't see that as a disadvantage in my case. Um, and as for going back to the intellectual pursuit, so when you Put these snippets on social media or not necessarily but either way like when you connect with with people you eventually end up having discussions or you meet up afterwards for coffee or drinks and you get to discuss things in more depth yeah and this is where yeah. the intellectual pursuit take, right. takes place yeah i think I, I agree i think there still has to be yeah so like we wouldn't discuss things over WhatsApp or or over uh, Twitter. Like we we almost never even interact on Twitter, right? But then it's we're true. here and we're having this. I mean, from time to time, discussion. I, I like to poke fun. I mean, you call it trickster, and this is I, it's something else I want to get into. I, I I mean, yeah, it's playful. When I have guests on the podcast who are arguing with each other, I kind of like to get in the way. But but I uh, but I it's happened a few times. And the, the arguments end, I think, because it's like they're embarrassed. <laughs> they're like, I don't want to be seen here. <laughs> and everyone goes home. I'm like, oh, that, that worked out just fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> speaking of which, the other day, yesterday, I think someone commented, because, someone mentioned uh, my podcast and they were like, yes, but would you make them shorter? And uh, there are certain times during the podcast when, when things are awkward. And I'm like, and that's the point. <laughs> like, this, in, in my case, yeah, 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 it has to be like this is because sometimes in our discussions, like you get a weird point, or or there's awkward things when you're when we're discussing things that might be a bit dense or a topic that might be a bit uh, controversial or tricky, or you know, it's like it's this is part of it, and when, but yeah, I'm, I'm, that's that's I'm, the chief the chief complaint I get but it's among friends and I know they're not, they're not even listening, you know, they're like, yeah, you should make it 15 minutes long. I'm not doing it for you. Oh, I'm sure more people will watch. I don't know if that's true. And, uh, I think, let, you know what? Let's wrap it up with the idea of trickster, the notion yeah. of being a trickster. And let's wrap it up with the king of podcasting, Joe Rogan. He mentions several times that, he deliberately wanted to have long form 
conversations. And some of his episodes are five hours long. I mean, they're they're long. They keep going and going. Maybe not five. Maybe not. I know five, five, five. one one of them at least reached five. I know that. Uh, the, the, his his uh, uh, the uh, the one where he inaugurated the first uh, the, yes. the new uh, the the new spot like the first Spotify the account. New- Studio, uh, yeah, it was, episode. it was five hours long with right. uh, with Duncan Trussell. I there think. you go, there you go, five hours yeah. long. So that he has others. It's but this one was, I think, the longest. Yeah. So it's somebody we're we're familiar with. We've never really talked about this, but it's obvious. It's clear that we both are are up to date with the uh, yeah the, uh-huh. the 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 king of this uh, medium. He's clearly the most unappealing prototype you would want. For a uh, like, a, if you can imagine a, a focus group or something like that, sort of like trying to find a man that yeah. would be appealing to everyone, he's this is the like the last. <laughs> he's offensive. Yeah. He's uh, he's a he. I mean, he goes hunting. Talks about owning a gun. These are things, by the way, that I am not comfortable with. I would not sort of. Uh, I don't have a gun. I don't go hunting. But he does, and he has his take on it. And you know what? He's very comfortable with explaining why. That's his uh, his view. Uh, maybe he's um, mixed martial arts. I have no curiosity about jujitsu or taekwondo or anything like that. Yeah. He's extremely invested in in that whole industry. I mean, I think he still participates in it. And uh, he has he's he does episodes just watching fights. What are they called? Fight Companion or something like that. So he uh, watching yeah the the ones where he sits uh, with his friends and and yeah and they're watching a like they're watching they, oh. these are uh, one of my favorite episodes by the way <laughs> uh, the ones when he when he does that yeah yeah and he gets high he yeah. gets drunk on occasion yeah. he'll get very important figures high and drunk with him and uh, I mean can you imagine a, a more sort of like we can't have this. And then he is the most watched, the most listened to podcaster. He gets more views, more listens than hit series. Um, he gets presidential candidates on his platform, entertainers. He gets scientists. And I find myself sort of drawn into his way of talking. I don't think it's, you call it high Highfalutin, I think that's the word you use sometimes. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's not in any way highfalutin, although he's now a he, he made a hundred million dollars off of a licensing deal. So that's insane. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's a common man with many trades, or at least that's the image he portrays. I don't think he's actually that common. I think he's I think he's quite special. Uh, but all that is to say, there's a playfulness to him that he literally doesn't take himself seriously and he will post things online you think would end a career of that kind of person this is what i'm doing i'm at the shooting range i'm cooking moose meat i'm uh whatever i'm doing all of these things and it takes some guts, I think, to do this and know that there, if, if, if the consequence happens and if you lose your platform, uh, so what? I'll move on and do something else. 
are, are you are you in a way in a way are you following that path of I don't want to be confined to the one thing that I studied the classroom the university setting the academic world uh, your favorite philosopher in the book is a man I've never heard of Feyerabend oh the, yeah and he uh, you call him a real trickster you call him yeah, a troublemaker he, he was and you also compare him in, a, in a, I think in a way to, <laughs> hope I hope I'm not overstepping here sounds like you <laughs> uh, or, or I'm, I was very heavily influenced by. by oh, sorry, him. very yeah. Maybe that's the, exactly. You learned from him, uh, and I also so the person I mentioned a few times here uh, with whom I have been discussing these. He was he studied with Fayyad Oh, really? Uh, at UC Berkeley, and so huh. uh, when he was at UC Berkeley, so I I even have like. First-hand experiences and stories of, of what he used to do in class. But the I way did not mention that in, in the book, but that's, oh. that's I yes. So so now I, I even like this is really how he was. But, but I, it's, it's, I like how you even you explain how you got into him. That you're trying to write your thesis and then you search for books that have nothing to do with your thesis, and then you stumble upon an autobiography of a very unknown philosopher. And I'm going to quote you for the last time. Feyerabend was a real trickster, a troublemaker, who, unlike Schopenhauer, did not have money, got into the system, but never took shit from anyone, nor took things for granted. His loud mouth got a lot of criticism, and he had many detractors, but he took it with sportsmanship. A real philosopher, he was ready to put his career on the line to question the very foundations of knowledge and the scientific method. So here you have the bridge between a serious academic who's in yep. Berkeley. He's not like he's not in his attic. And with ETH his, uh, Zurich. Uh, absolutely yes, and he gets a lot of money there and spends yes. his money on his students, taking them out for dinner and his colleagues. Yes. So the, he's obviously celebrated in academic circles. He made it. Not so much now. Maybe yeah. Not right. so much, but yes, but he was like you couldn't. I mean, he's faculty in two very important institutions, and he's also very carefree. So yep. he's able to do both. Yep. Is that the model? Like, so Joe Rogan, he is a professional fighter. He did study, and he spent years doing it for, for, not for fun. I mean, he made his trade off of mixed martial arts. He's a yep. well-honed comedian he spent years on stage until he got his first special he's a very serious podcaster he started yep. this maybe a decade ago or, or longer or, or maybe around then i don't know seven or something 2007 seven. right so 13 or, uh, yeah but it's obvious the man takes it very seriously i mean he's he has very little help one assistant this guy who's always hidden off camera, Jamie. And you can tell the man is heavily invested in this to the point yeah. that he's financially rewarded for it. So is that is that the model where you're you're, you can prove yourself and then say, F you, I'm going to go my own way? See, this is the thing. Uh, ideally, this is how it should be. Mm, mm. Uh, and this is maybe what tenure is for in academia. 
tenure and trickster are in a way like that's the link? More or less. But the thing is, nowadays, to even so much as get tenure, mm. you will have, they, they filter them out. So if, if you're a renegade or if you're uh, a troublemaker, then you wouldn't even dream of the promotion, even if you have uh, decent publications uh, or decent publication uh, publications, uh, career uh, degrees, etc. Mm. So if, if you're a top-notch academic and they don't want you there because of politics, they would kick you out. That's and I can give you examples of people I know off uh, record, but it's so. So the, so the tolerance the tolerance for a trickster today went down. Went down. Right. Right. And I'm not only I don't only mean in in, in the humanities or philosophy, etc. No, I even like computer science uh, departments because now they're doing politics because now you know there's there's there are too many things at stake here because. Things have changed nowadays. Like back in the day, during Feyerabend's times there or time, there things were, and I mentioned that in the book. Maybe things were different now. Like if if Feyerabend was living today, I don't think he would have been able to do that. That's interesting. So so it's really recently that this has sort of perme permeated academia because he's 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 recent history in the men's yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, but he was teaching in, in the sixties in, in mm. Berkeley and these places. Like he he died in ninety four, if I'm not mistaken. He had a brain tumor, but uh, but yeah, and and he fought at war, and he was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. way he narrates it, like if you read his his autobiography, it's just fascinating. And then and he's there with uh, he's he's responsible for uh, these uh, group of soldiers, and and they get. Uh, uh, or they get shot at and he gets injured, etc. And he talks about it and he's like, he doesn't like, and he talks about it and he doesn't even mind. So, so yeah, he's nowadays, if you have someone who does that, like, and one more thing, which is in this case, uh, more important, uh, he used to go to this conference in, in Switzerland with, with very renowned scientists and philosophers. I forgot, uh, uh, what the where the conference was held, but the way they, the the things they discussed and what he talks about and and this person is sleeping with that other person and you know it's like you would think to yourself like what the fuck you're going you, you're you're at the conference man focus on us but no like he doesn't so so you know it's like you look at at this guy who's supposedly a rigorous uh, philosophy of science guy and. And he's hanging out with people who are very renowned in, in physics and chemistry, etc. And he goes to these places and he's trolling them, and then they are trolling each other. So it it was it seems to be a different kind of attitude that they all had. So they didn't need to put this professional kind of uh, veneer uh, when they were at conferences, or so like they could. This is. Like maybe they could distinguish or, or they could focus on what was important when it was, when they needed to. And then other than that, they were just normal human beings. Nowadays, that's, that's, that's what, that's the appeal. I think that's the appeal of, of Joe Rogan or the appeal yeah. of, of anyone, you know, people, yeah. um, what's his name? Elon Musk, this kind of Elon person was just, it seems like just a, a guy, a guy you'd yeah. want to, yeah, maybe that's the appeal. 
So these are somebody who made it, but are still well grounded, and they're yeah. and they're jovial along the way. The definition of sardonic, when you say sardonically speaking, is it the <laughs> is it the undertone of of humor, but there's a very serious sort of veneer with it, just not. Of course. Yeah. yeah because yeah. at the end of the day, this is also what I mentioned. It's like Socrates, unlike the sophists, for example, is interested in 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 seeking truth. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, so underlying all this is is a genuine quest for truth or whatever it is, right? right? Yeah. But but then it's done in a in a playful way, such that you don't get uh, too hung over or hung up on on a certain idea or a certain viewpoint to prove now to yourself that you are right and to others. So there's always this space that they create where they can where they keep examining themselves so this is where the uh platonic or the the socratic statement of uh, the unexamined life is is a life not worth living because if yeah if you take yourself too seriously it can also mean you you become dogmatic about your views and and you would miss out on other views or you you stop building bridges you stop being interested in other things at when you are really dogmatic and focusing on one issue so yeah, sardonic in this case, it's um, it doesn't mean like not taking yourself too seriously. Doesn't mean to not care. Right. Right. It just means to just chill. Like we're we we are all gonna die, and you like it's is it worth it? Uh, not worth it as in searching for meaning, but is it worth it to obsess over? one idea and then fight with other people trying to prove yourself right blah, you know or yeah. the uptight uh professor or the uptight boss or the uptight businessman those who just are focused on one thing and are doing you know so mm-hmm. so now why sardonically because it's i think you would know why sardonically no don't don't tell me sardine don't tell me sardine don't tell me yes. sardine oh, no. <laughs> so I was having coffee with a friend of mine, uh, and I mentioned that also. I mentioned her in the book so far, and she's she's like, I don't even know what we were discussing, but she's like, yeah, sardonically speaking. And I was like, hmm, wait a sec, sardonically speaking, interesting. <laughs> yes, I think it's the title for the book because I. <laughs> Lebanon sardines for those who don't know uh, I uh, the combo but uh, so yeah it's a, this is where how how the title came up or how we came up with it she came up with the title basically but uh, I I the original title was something else um, I think it was called or I I was thinking about calling it a philosophy for trolls or something <laughs> well <laughs> I think it's actually it's the opposite because it's the tr- <laughs> it's 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 a it's a book for somebody who wants to understand the whole dance that's happening on all sides of I think it, on all sides of the spectrum and yeah. uh, the student the, the 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 professor the institution a uh, disenfranchised student disenfranchised professor an institution that's struggling social media its uses it's 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 cancel it's a, culture all can, cancel culture and and also maybe the universal component which is 
things that are way beyond the Lebanese story. I mean, you reference mostly American comedians and uh, musicians, but the universal sort of language of comedy and, and art and uh, hip-hop music in particular, uh, those don't have borders. And I, I actually, I think my favorite part of the book is the most personal one, which is where you're a kid in 2000 on a school oh, yeah. bus yep. with your friend listening to Eminem lyrics and not understanding what the kid is saying, not understanding Eminem. And you save just enough money to get the cassette, <laughs> Marshall Mathers LP, I think. And yep. Yeah. And then you find your way back home, your Walkman, and you listen to Eminem over and over and over. And there's this bit where I, uh, I I did not include, whereby the first time I'm listening to the cassette, I just, uh, I click play, and then uh, 30 minutes later, I think my, my father pops in. He's like, what are you listening to? Yeah. <laughs> and I, he listens to it, and then he's like, there's a lot of fuck and shit in this record. I'm like, yes, but I like it. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, but so, I like yeah. it. No, but the thing is, because uh, that, that's... That's a universal moment. It's not, I mean, every, every, every kid with a Walkman or whatever it is now, I mean, now it's just a different landscape, but there's a certain time where you had to save just enough money to yeah. buy a record that was, that had a release date and you have to go to the store and wait for it and get the bootleg and copy, the get the fake, yeah, the lyrics. I used to go to a place in Hamra, which is, I'm sure it's gone now. It's called Bang Up on Jean d'Arc. I have no idea if it's there anymore. It's the early nineties. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. probably gone. And I used to have save enough allowance money to go buy a a copy of a cassette. So the guy would make like Elfen Lira thing on his duplicate cassette, <laughs> so he could keep the original, right? And uh, I would listen to. I would spend hours with a cassette player and just listen. And these lyrics have nothing to do with Lebanon, yet they relate. So I think that's right. also, that's the universal message that I, I appreciate always, which is, I mean, the story has to resonate with a wide audience. Otherwise, it's just a little too narrow and it can be dull. I think, Mahmoud, you're going uh, grayer and grayer every time I speak to you. So next time you'll be, I think, just uh, white. Uh, there's, in there's, reference to... You have patches here and they're, they're sort of exposing... Yes, my yes. My hair? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. My God. You're, you've, no, you've aged no the last two months, but I think all of us have. This year has oh. been this year has been tough on all of us, but I think it's uh, <laughs> yeah yeah it's been tough it's been tough. We'll look back on these but episodes you know, and we'll realize that yeah the first and second one <laughs> we both aged <laughs> significantly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or maybe the lighting. I I'd like to think that it's, it's oh, maybe the lighting, lighting now. Maybe you, can, lighting. you can see more, but yeah, yeah. no, it's uh, you're right, you're right. But this is these these dressers are always good. I mean, look at you, you're you're. Um, you're thinking about the possibility of self-publishing, etc. But you're really the podcast is just one example whereby you're putting things out there. That's true. And and you're doing it your way. And and your my other cat is here. And you you don't wait for there's no chain of command there or hierarchy. And that's true. You know. You're absolutely right. This is not a. This is not so, a. There's no sponsorship. It's just me. It's just you. Yeah, that's and true. And you do whatever you want, and you include whatever you want, and you do it 
your way, the editing, etc. So that's just just also like you're in control. And then I I would believe you're learning a lot from Tantar experience. I, I've got hands down. I finally know what I'm doing. I think I, I finally know what I'm doing. At the beginning, I had no clue. But but I will say I will say. But this is the thing. This is how you learn. Yeah. Look, I, I'll we'll, we'll we'll quote Joe Rogan one last time. Uh, yeah. I think both of us keep saying his name, hoping that one day we end up there. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> this is subtle, yeah. subtle. Uh, yeah. I, the struggle matters. If yeah. you're not if you're not struggling, you're doing it wrong. And if you're not struggling after you've made it, you're doing it wrong. So the struggle, keep struggling, and put yourself in uncomfortable situations. And I think uh, I think to different degrees, both of us are doing variations of this. Your sentiment in the book, which is you start by saying a few months ago you were really angry, and you're not as angry right now. And I think that yeah. is that is very important. You found a way to channel the anger. Yeah, that's fundamental. I do that for a living. <laughs> I, uh. That's my whole life. Channeling, uh, channeling the yeah. whatever you want to call it, channeling the passion into a pursuit. So that's really what matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that finding, doing the things that you enjoy. After a long stretch of pain, I think it's well earned time for a little bit of playful playfulness and a little bit of joy. Yeah, yeah. And good luck on your move to Canada. Uh, Thank you. I'll see you somewhere on planet Earth. Hopefully. Yes. Uh, do you have any plans to, to come to Lebanon anytime soon? The winter, yeah. I plan to spend some time over the winter. Yeah. But if you're still that there... Would be around... Ras is in it. Because I'm not Abel sure. Ras. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. It's highly likely that I might still be around, yeah. Good. Because I'd rather see you there in December weather than Canada <laughs> in December. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, the way things are, are uh, going now, I think we will be here. Buy the book, check out the discount, 40%, and Mahmoud, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>